0: Episode 2. Originality. Some time later, the preacher decided that it was time to move on. He wanted to visit and encourage his friends and the communities who had supported him, and to spread the good news. I was invited to join him as someone who would act as a helper, and without much thought, I agreed. The plan was to head west towards Philippi and Athens, further away from Colossi and Ephesus, which was good for my story. After a month or so of preparations, we set off. The journey was enthralling, dangerous, tiring, and stressful. We travelled all around Greece, the preacher leading with others helping him with the ministry. Gradually, I moved from being a background helper to a full member of the team, and I found myself speaking to many about Jesus, and the good news message of the cross. Many were persuaded, most were not. It seemed that I was made for this. My past was now a distant memory, I was living an adventure. I had never been happier. We were on the road for months, finally reaching the great city of Athens. And it was here that everything for me would change. It came after the preacher had an open dialogue with a group of philosophers. In a conversation with them, he had validated their deeper sense of belief in a supreme being by referring to their own shrine that venerated the unknown God, and then pointed out that the gospel was about this unknown God who had revealed himself in Jesus, and so was now knowable. The preacher was speaking about freedom, something that I knew something about. After all, I was a slave that was now free. While I was standing next to him, the preacher relayed to the audience something that Jesus had said. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. The preacher, with me at his side, was encouraging the audience towards true and real freedom that was attainable only through an open and honest belief in Jesus. As I nodded my head in agreement, I was suddenly overcome by an unthinkable thought. In supporting the call for openness and honesty, could it be that I was being dishonest? I was holding myself out as a freeman, but I was in truth a runaway slave, pretending to be free with forged papers and a bogus story. This had never been a concern for me, but I now saw it as a massive problem. It was as if scales had been removed from my eyes, such that I now saw something that I was previously blind to. My heart sank. My past had caught up with me. Every day, by omission, I had lied to the team and to the preacher. What if someone in the audience recognized me and asked the preacher why it was that he had a runaway slave at his side? I was a hypocrite, and potentially a danger to the team. But what to do? I could ask God for forgiveness, and God would fulfill his promise and forgive me, but then I would have to face those immortal words, go and sin no more. What then? I could not take my Freeman coat off because it would mean that I would need to put another coat on. And there was only one other coat that fitted. There seemed no way out. I was trapped. My confidence was shattered. My pretense of righteousness was exposed. I stood there next to the preacher, numb. That night, as we were all sitting around the fire in an open discussion with the preacher, Driven by the day's events and questions raised, the discussion turned to the subject of freedom. We had discussed freedom before, but the uncovering of my hypocrisy made it very different for me this time. I tensed up a little, holding my clothing slightly tighter as if I were cold. The preacher was talking about how our real inner freedom is impacted by things that we like and treasure, things that we simply want to be true and valuable. He said something like this.
1: You must understand that when we hold on to things too tightly, the very act of holding on can become problematic. The tighter we hold on to things, the more we open ourselves up to strangling our own inner freedom. At this point, he looked at me and continued. Look at Onesmus. He is holding his tunic tightly. Imagine if his tunic were a coat that represented his freedom as a freeman. Holding on too tightly could mean that he becomes a slave to his cultural status as a freeman, and so may end up losing his true inner freedom received through the cross of Christ. The outward is always determined by inward attachments. Inner peace determines outward daily peace. And the more we hold on to outward things, whether they be our culture, our tribe, our family, or our achievements, the more we are enslaved to these outward things, and the more we strangle the potential of internal freedom of the heart. That is why Jesus said, to receive abundant life, a man must first deny all things that he believes make him what he is. He must voluntarily release his hold on the works of his hands, no matter whether small or big. He must voluntarily release his connection to family and tribe. And he must voluntarily release his connection to his nation and its culture, no matter whether it is controlled by his tribe or by others, or whether he is born a slave or born free, or in my case a Roman citizen. Until we understand these things as being part of God's providence, we will strangle the life of the Holy Spirit within us. This is why it is possible for all who follow Christ, whether slave, freeman or citizen to be equal citizens of God's kingdom. And why those who are not citizens of God's kingdom, are all too often slaves to their personal attachments and ambitions, irrespective of whether they are slaves, freemen or Roman citizens. What could I do?
0: As he looked at me, I held his stare. But I swear he saw something. He had, without knowing, touched something deep. What do you think, Onisimus, he asked. I just looked at him with empty eyes. The life that I considered an achievement, was under attack. I froze. In my mind, I went on the defense. How could he say what it was like to be a slave? Easy for him to say these things. He was an educated citizen, and as privileged as they come. Did he have any real experience of what it is like being a slave, being treated as a non-person, unimportant, as a nobody, as an impersonal piece of flesh whose value is based on usefulness? He does not know. Surely, he cannot know. So, how dare he think he can say anything about this? It was a short moment, but fortunately for me, it was cut short by one of the others, who asked a question. As the conversation drifted on, I sat still, pretending to listen, looking emptily forward until, at last, I pulled myself together, and shrank away under the pretense of a call of nature. To make matters worse, the next morning, the preacher announced that he believed it was time to begin working our way back to Jerusalem. We would spend a short time in Corinth and look for a boat to take us to Ephesus. My heart sank. Ephesus was close to Colossae. Maybe I could persuade the preacher that he should leave me in Corinth rather than go on with the team. No, this would not work. I was not ready for such a task, and the act of asking would open up questions. A few evenings later, I found the opportunity to be alone with the preacher. But before I could even start, he asked a simple question. What really happened the other night? He had clearly seen something deeper in my eyes that night. My game was up. I went on the offensive. My opening question was as good as it could be. How can you say that in Christ, the citizen, the slave and the freeman are alike? Have you been a freeman or slave? Have you grown up watching your parents struggle against a system favoring the citizen or lived life literally as the property of another man? How can you understand what it is like to move from being a freeman to a citizen or slave to being a freeman? How can you even think that you understand the pain and rejection of a slave? Our discussion went something like this.
1: You have raised these questions using the context of our current social structure. Let's take a step back. Would you agree with me that social classes and other kinds of groupings can only have a primary status or eternal moral value if they find their origin in the mind of God? Put another way, if these things are not in the mind of God, then, unless the Christian story is false, they are ultimately a human construct. That is, they find their origin in man and history. From a Christian perspective, I suppose I would agree. Don't you see the problem? The act by any person of attaching identity to something that is man-made begs, and questions. Is all I really am a construct of my own mind and feeling? Am I restricted to the box that either I have been put into by others or chosen myself? These questions burn equally in us all irrespective of which man-made class we are part of. Look at it this way. You would agree that I cannot attach myself equally to all things. A man cannot be equally a citizen, a freeman and a slave at the same time. This is no different if the attachment is something that is culturally enforced, like the different clothes that different classes wear. The things that define us and that we choose to define ourselves will always imprison us in some way. So, I am a citizen of Rome. Of course, this is a more fortunate position to be in than being a slave. But surely, I am more than the class I am born into, just as the slave is more than his being owned by another. But what about things that are made or earned? Or things that are achieved through our efforts? Is that not different? Even earning my place in society does not escape the depth of the question. I know many who have built villas and earned lots of money who struggle. Are my identity at value only dependent upon my money? Am I not more than the works of my hands? King Solomon spells this out quite clearly in his writings. And obviously, when I am honest about my status as a citizen, it is clear that this status is something given to me. I did not earn it. I was born a citizen and I did not choose who my parents would be or where I would be born. Only God knew beforehand, and He allowed it. And God allowed it because he gives each of us a kingdom-based purpose, in the time and place and social environment that we are born into. In this way, having a God-given purpose for our lives, whatever it is, is not limited by class and other such things. But why did Jesus
0: speak of denying or letting the things we hold tightly go, things connected to our culture, our tribe,
1: our family, or our achievements? Well simply because, as he said, no person can serve two masters in the same way, that no one person can ride two horses at the same time. We are all slaves to something. Being a slave is something every man knows something about, in the sense that it is something he is connected to that he cannot let go of. That depends on the definition of the term. What does the word deny really mean?
0: For surely it cannot be that our culture, our tribe, our family, or our achievements are entirely unimportant or irrelevant. For clearly, such things still have great
1: importance in our lives. For sure, they do. They are very important. But we must ensure that the value we place on these things is appropriate, as these things are ultimately only of secondary importance. They are not ultimately of primary importance. Look at it this way Scripture is clear. Before we are born, we are given a unique purpose and makeup. This purpose and makeup then find expression in the time and space we are born. In this way, everyone is original and equal, and all these things collectively come together to represent our originality. This speaks to what we are, and what God has meant each of us to be. This is why I so often state that all are equal in God's eyes. While it goes against everyday culture, especially where culture is built off the inequality of some kind, as most cultures are, connecting to our originality is the doorway to meaning. The reason is simple. Our originality is the foundation of our true identity. It is our root. It is not something that we decide on, cling to or create. Our originality is not based on chance or generated by mankind in some way, Rather, it is God's original intent for the individual. It is a gift from God who was, and is interested enough in each of us to give it to us. And it follows that accessing this requires that we submit all things to this originality. Since all things are in Jesus Christ, this originality can only be truly found through Christ, as in Jesus, we live and move and have our being. From this perspective, to become a Christian means to connect to our true originality. This would explain why Jesus said that those who lose
0: their lives for my sake will gain them. But how do I escape from holding on to those things
1: that are so important to me? Well, every man and woman coming to Christ has this in common. They must accept that all they hold dear is secondary to their originality. For it is our originality that gives all things right and proper context. Of course, this does not mean that things like our culture, tribe, family, or achievements are unimportant, they are extremely important, and so can be fully embraced, but they are just not primary in the sense that they are more important than God's plan for each of us in Jesus. Like everything, there may be a time when they must be laid at the cross. I was now
0: connecting to the argument, I suppose coming to believe requires a reconciliation between our primary and secondary attachments that it is possible that some of the things that we are connected to or find ourselves clinging to may conflict with our originality, and that we may need
1: to abandon these. Yes. And we all struggle with this. I did. I grew up and lived in a Greek city, was a Jewish theologian and was a Roman citizen. Try to work that one out. Ultimately, I had to submit all these under my primary originality and accept that I needed to give up some things I held so dear. Everyone has things that they pick up along the way that conflict with their originality, that they need to deny and lose. God's purpose for all of us is to live and move and have our being in Christ's purpose for us, and anything that conflicts with this, anything that is secondary but which we cling to as primary, anything that is secondary which has not been discarded, no matter how difficult it is to do, will stand in the way of this purpose for our lives. Hiding it does not help. Eventually, Christ will require that we deal with it. But why is it so important to submit all that is secondary to our originality? Because of meaning. As true meaning arises from alignment with our originality, there is no higher meaning than being and living what God intended when he formed you in your mother's womb. This kind of thinking transcends our life on earth and connects us to God's kingdom on earth. It enables the finite action to be connected to God's infinite plan, the mundane to become sublime. In this, all are equal. None of this is possible when we elevate the secondary above our primary originality. But what about freedom? Surely being free and having the freedom to choose is core to personal meaning? Yes and no. Exercising choice is the way to meaning. That is how we were made. As Adam and Eve exercised moral choice in their rebellion, so we can exercise a moral choice to be reconciled to God through Christ, and then exercise a moral choice to live our lives based on our originality. When we use the gift of moral choice to choose what is not part of our originality, as Adam and Eve did, it is a choice that is called sin. We may be free to choose, But we are never free from the consequences of our free choices. Thus, no choice is entirely free because no choice is free from consequence. Of course, much of what is secondary can be part of our originality, and in such cases, making these things part of our identity is fine. But not always. It follows that the hardest is often when there is something secondary in our lives that we cannot let go of. It becomes a stumbling block to our walk with God, and in many cases, our relationships with others. And there is an appointed time when we need to confront this conflict and decide. How do you describe it when you find yourself torn apart by the truth about yourself?
0: I do not recall how the conversation finished or even if the preacher had insight into what was happening inside me. I did everything that I could to ensure that my eyes maintained a stoic look, but sometimes the body gives things away. The words from my discussion with the preacher repeated themselves inside my mind, heart, and soul, and caused a deep wrestle around what was primary to my originality, and what was secondary. It challenged me to my core.